0: Good morning. 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 So, does anyone have uh, any particular question about practice that they want to raise uh, to start us off? Yes? I wonder if you could say a little
1: bit more about uh, the um, the, why is it beneficial to have our meditation object um, focusing on the sensation of the breath at the tip of... Uh, because there, are, I'm sure there are other methods. And for myself, I feel that every time I breathe in, I just follow a part that's most comfortable and enjoyable. When I breathe out, I go to the other part that's more... Like in my body, it's more comfortable. And it makes me very relaxed relaxed and relaxed.
0: Mm -hmm. So, you say when you breathe in and out, you're finding it very comfortable? Yeah.
1: um, So if I follow, I just go for the most comfortable spot in my body Mm -hmm. as a result of breathing in. If you want me to pinpoint where it is, I don't even know. But during my meditation, if I keep doing this, eventually I get to a very comfortable state. Mm -hmm. But if I focus on this, I I become very um, constrained.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we may talk more about what you find comfortable. Uh, but first of all, yes. The idea of the meditation object is simply something that you can use to keep bringing your attention back to and to rest your attention on. And there are many different meditation objects and many different kinds of meditation objects. There's casinas, you can use Buddha images, you can use mantras, uh, a lot of different ones. Many of the meditation objects that people use uh, are fixed and unchanging. Now, the breath as a meditation object, uh, it's always present, Some of the meditation objects like a mantra, you have to keep regenerating yourself over and over again, or if you were to be visualizing a Buddha image, you have to actually generate that image in your mind. You spend a lot of time doing that. The breath is always there. It's immediately available, and you don't have to do anything. You can just observe the sensations that the breath produces. Many of these meditation objects, as I said, are fixed and and static. The breath is changing. and In terms of cultivating a high level of awareness, mindful awareness, this is an advantage of a changing object as opposed to a stable one, a fixed one. Something that is there by itself that you don't have to generate also generates also presents certain advantages to it. So the fact that it's a changing object and the fact that it's there by itself are two advantages. Now, when you're using the breath as a meditation object, you can uh, you can use it in a variety of different ways. There are meditation techniques that visualize the breath coming into the body, passing through different parts of the body, and then back out again. Uh, there, are medita- there are breath meditations that um, where you're basically focusing on the on the concept of breath, and not just the bare concept of breath, but The concept of breath with a lot of other associated ideas like the breath is the breath of life and things like that. These these kinds of meditation objects, they're more complex and they're more conceptual. The meditation on the sensation of the breath has this simplicity that uh, the sensation is something that is genuinely present Uh, in its own right. It's not an idea or a concept that's generated by the mind. That sensation is there. It's always there. And it's just a question of noticing something that is always there. You can observe the sensation of breath at the tip of the nose, or or on the abdomen as the abdomen rises and falls, or in the chest as the chest moves. There's different places, and there's nothing uh especially, uh, uh, th- there's no particular reason why everyone should have to observe the sensation of the breath in the same place. But if you compare the sensations in those different areas, this is a much finer and more refined uh, and sensitive area. So, if we take the sensation of the breath, rather than the breath or breath concepts or breath visualization or any of these other things, if we take the sensation of the breath, we're observing something that uh, is a a genuine experience with no conceptual... uh, The conceptualization is there, but we can actually let the conceptualization fall away and our meditation can become more pure and more refined in the sense that it becomes non-conceptual. It just becomes the bare awareness of a phenomenon that is actually there. Now, as your concentration improves and deepens, your breathing slows. This has a very interesting effect because as your breathing slows, as your concentration deepens, your awareness must increase proportionately, otherwise you won't be able to detect the sensations of the breath anymore. So as a meditation object, because it's a changing object and also because it's an object that becomes less distinct as concentration increases, it naturally encourages us to develop strong mindful awareness. One of the problems with concentration meditation is that it's easy for the mind to slip into a very comfortable dullness. This is a great danger. As a matter of fact, you'll find many Vipassana teachers say, no, don't do concentration meditation, very bad for you. They say, don't don't develop Samatha, very bad for you. They don't really understand, but you have to understand where they are coming from. There are many people who have taken up meditation and have taken a meditation object that that allows them to easily slip into a state of dullness without mindful awareness. And you cannot achieve insight and you cannot achieve awakening uh, with concentration alone. You have to have a mind that is not only disciplined and concentrated, but also has a very high level of awareness. So, the sensation of the breath, it is an ideal object in this way. And the sensation of the breath at the nose is a particularly sensitive and refined location. So that's what makes, that's what makes it a, uh, a highly desirable meditation object. It is the meditation object that the Buddha used and that he taught. He used it himself. It's the only uh, meditation object you'll find specifically being described in the sutras. But since the time of the Buddha there have been many other meditation objects used and many other ways of meditating. So I'm not saying it's the only way. But it clearly has certain advantages. Um, So that answers your first question. But what you are saying is that you find when you meditate on the sensations of the breath that you find it's not as calming and relaxing and it produces a certain tension.
1: No, no, it's it's more like as uh, I breathe, um, d- different parts of my body have sensation. So different it's parts. not so much the sensation at the tip of my nose that feels most comfortable. Mm-hmm. I think it's more like back of my shoulder or the back of my chest. Mm-hmm. That's where I feel that the sensation of the of the breath is strongest and the, Makes me most
0: comfortable in it. Well, if that's where you feel the sensation most strongly and most clearly, I have no problem with you using that as a meditation object. Because really, wherever you can feel it most strongly and most clearly, then that's fine. If you've you've tried both, using the, the sensations at the nose and the sensations at the shoulders and the back, and between the two of them you find that one is clearer and more sensitive than the other, then use that one. At some later time, time you, may, you, you might like to try uh, shifting back to the tip of the nose. When the breath becomes very sh- very fine and very shallow, sometimes you might find that it's very hard to detect here because the, the nerve endings are, are coarser there and they may not be as sensitive to finer movement. And that would be the only reason for changing. If you, do, if that does not become a problem, then you could use the sensations of the breath on your back forever. And Can
1: I start with this uh, here, and then uh, in the same meditation session, and move on to, to the tip of, the no- of my nose? Is that some like to start with? I go with the most sensitive one, but mm-hmm. as it becomes.
0: That that would not be a bad strategy to start, and then as your as your awareness improves and your mind calms down, then then switch to the tip of your nose. Uh, especially if you find after some time that you no longer need to start one place and move to another. Um, I'll just add that the it, uh, although there's an advantage to experimenting and finding where the best place is. Eventually you want to settle and use one same meditation object. Because after a few hundred or a few thousand hours of observing the same thing, it becomes very, very clearly imprinted in your mind. And it allows you to come into a state where your mind is observing those sensations very, very clearly but it's like your mindful awareness is able to step back and so uh, you are being mindful of your mind as your mind is mindful of the sensations. That's uh, introspective awareness in its most developed state. You know, you're really At that point you're really aware of your mind but your mind is busy being aware of the sensations, you know what I mean? But to get to that point means that you've spent a lot of time observing the same sensations in the same place. But uh, that comes later in the process. So initially, a certain amount of experimentation, and as you suggested, maybe you start to sit in one location, and then as your mind settles in and becomes clear, you move to another. That's that's fine, too. So, sorry, I
1: just want a quick question. Uh, is there, a diff- there is a difference between the sensation of the breath and the breath itself, right? Yes. Because as a, I was just experimenting with the sensation around here. I feel that when during in breath and out breath, vice versa, there is a break mm-hmm. uh, in the breathing itself, but yeah. sensation itself seems to be there. It's just the, the sensation continues. Is, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, and I want to focus on the sensation, not the the breathing.
0: That's right. Yeah. Yes. One
2: question. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you mentioned the the, the breathing, uh, the sensation, uh, I wanted to verify if I'm doing the right thing. When my when my breath become very thin, very tiny, I don't. I got this sensation, but it's not related with the physical. I cannot find it anywhere. Just tiny little, tiny little thing. It's somewhere in the heart. Oh, I cannot uh, pinpoint say that's the tip of the nose or in the roof of my nose room or throat or anywhere. It's just somewhere inside there, just tiny, tiny little place.
0: But it keeps changing in, out.
2: In, out. I know. Uh, mm-hmm. It's nothing in and out. Mm-hmm. It's just something inside there that is a, something's there, right. you know.
0: It's breathing but uh, but cor- what I mean is it corresponds it corresponds to the breath i mean uh, it, yes yes yeah okay it's okay that's okay yes right
3: okay. yes um i, I was just well, i just to um to follow up on what she was saying earlier about um, breathing uh, focusing the attention on the chest and the back area because that seems to be where a lot of the tensions are our store. So, mm-hmm. so um, I've also known in the past that if I focus on those spots, I feel like a very deep soothing um, uh, relaxation practice. It's it's like massaging places that fingers mm-hmm. cannot reach, and uh, it's and and, and I'm, I'm guessing that's why you know it could be really comfortable because mm-hmm. this place and this place that's a typical place where people have a lot of tension.
0: People do have a lot of tension there. Yes, and perhaps that is the reason. But that reminds me to remind everyone to, to when you're meditating, frequently check in. Your, your body should be completely relaxed. And so check in to see if you're developing tension anywhere. Because uh, you might be, could be in your shoulders and your back or, or your chest. could also be in your forehead or your eyes or around your mouth or whatever. And whenever you find tension there, just let it go. You know, uh, you might even just breathe into it, good an in in-breath, and then on the out-breath, just let that tension go and relax. You want your body to always be very, very relaxed. And if you ever start noticing any sort of tightness or discomfort, then just immediately let that go.
1: To follow up on that, there was actually once, um, air was moving my back up and down the, uh, in the back area. It feels like really like a massage, and it was very comfortable. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, and afterwards I always try to get to that stage again I wonder <laughs> it's, it's like I'm a I wonder it's, or it's something I should cultivate or I should just like
0: <laughs> well if your primary objective is to uh, <laughs> be comfortable and have a nice internal massage so. <laughs> but uh, I Otherwise, the emphasis should be on concentration and mindful awareness. Could it be a sign that uh, my my concentration is getting better? Or <laughs> it's
1: unrelated, well, or?
0: the uh, it it uh, could be, but the most important sign your concentration is getting better is that you don't you no longer have episodes where you forget the meditation or you forget what you're doing, and when you haven't forgotten, that you don't find that uh, you're thinking more about something else than you are paying attention to the meditation object. Those are the most important signs. <laughs> as a matter of fact, those are the only signs that really count uh, at, at that stage. Now, later on, there's, a, there's other signs uh, uh, of meditation, such as the body becoming very, very still and very comfortable and uh, being suffused with a sense of pleasure and joy arising. Uh, and uh, that your concentration becomes effortless, so these are these are future signs to it forward to. but yeah uh, I really want to emphasize this uh, i 've had a chance now in interviews and things like that to get some idea of where everybody is, and as is always the case in a retreat like this, we have yogis at uh, whose practice is. Uh, at every imaginable stage right? you know and so uh, some are uh, some are in uh, the early stages and some are in the later stages and some are in the middle stages and uh, so for those whose practice is still in the early stages, I want to emphasize for you the way this progresses that The first problem that anyone has when they begin to meditate is they forget what they are doing over and over again. And then when you forget what you are doing, your mind naturally goes from one thought to another thought to another one, and that's what we call mind wandering. So forgetting and mind wandering, it's your first concern to get over the stage of forgetting what you are doing. In the meantime, while you're trying to get over forgetting what you're doing, it doesn't matter that the inner that you're still thinking and that there's uh, an inner, inner talk going on, a mental talk. Don't try to stop that. That's not your concern. You're just trying to get over forgetting the meditation. As, if the inner dialogue is going on. If you can get that inner dialogue to talk to you about the meditation, it'll help you not forget <laughs> it, right? So, don't try to suppress things. Don't try to make things stop. That that will stop later on, and it will stop. It'll be quite easy to stop later on. But when you're just beginning, uh, it only makes things more difficult to be concerned with it. You'll have all kinds of other thoughts coming up when you haven't forgotten what you're doing. And when you are still aware of the breath, you'll have all kinds of other thoughts. And at that point your main concern is, is not to stop all of that, but it's to keep your primary attention on the sensations of the breath. And, and whenever you find that you're thinking more, you're more involved with a thought than paying attention to the breath, then you, then you just want to refocus your attention on the breath. And that's your primary concern. It's not getting rid of other thoughts, images, sensations, pains in the knees, things like that. It's just keeping the main focus on the breath, allowing those other things to be in the background. And then you're also going to find that uh, you start dealing with dullness and sleepiness. And that's completely normal. That's that's something that uh, you will come to the stage of, of, of that happening over and over again. And when that is happening, your concern is just to recognize as soon as possible when sleepiness is developing, doing whatever it is that you can and that you need to to bring the mind back to a state of alert wakefulness and to not lose the awareness of the meditation object. And sometimes that means being somewhat less focused, being more aware of sensations in your body. Sometimes it means meditating with your eyes open, which, you know, then you have uh, visual objects present. But as long as you don't forget the meditation object, and as long as you know, should you have your eyes open and you find yourself starting to pay more attention to the patterns on the floor, you just bring your attention back to the meditation object the same way that you would with your eyes closed if it was a thought. So, uh, your main concern, if you have sleepiness or strong dullness developing, is to recognize it and overcome it. And so, progress in this way. Until you've. And until forgetting what you're doing is overcome, then that's always going to be the thing that you most are concerned with. And you're not concerned with being single-pointed, and you're not concerned with stopping the inner dialogue and so forth. And then during those times that you haven't forgotten the meditation object, but there's all this other stuff going on in your mind, your objective isn't to make all that stop, it's just to keep, your, to keep bringing your attention back, keep bringing your focus back. The other stuff will quiet down. The more you ignore it, the more you keep bringing your attention away from it, the more that other stuff will gradually, over time, quiet down. You're never going to be able to make the decision that I'm going to stop this. You're never going to be able to use your willpower to make your mind stop presenting thoughts and paying attention to other things. But by constantly, the one thing that you can do with your mind is direct your attention. So if you keep redirecting your attention back every time it wavers, every time it moves away, eventually all of that other stuff will become not so much of a problem. Your mind will tend to go into dullness. You can't prevent that from happening, but you can recognize it when it's happening and counteract it temporarily. You know, keep coming back. But the more that you keep doing it, the less it will be a problem. The most important thing is that the sooner you recognize it, because I know you've already discovered this, that the stronger the dullness is, and the longer it's been there, the harder it is to deal with. So the sooner you notice it, the more quickly you notice it, the easier it is to deal with it. And so keep that in mind. That's your strategy, to notice it as soon as possible, and then make a correction. So when you're in the first four stages of the ten stages of, of this progress, this is the priority that, that uh, you want to hold on to. And if you try to do too much too soon, you'll just frustrate yourself. And at each of these stages, the task is really quite simple. So do the simple task. Stay in a relaxed frame of mind without judging yourself and without feeling badly because you have distraction or feeling badly because you have dullness. Those are those are necessary things to be there, and the only way that you ultimately overcome them is through spending the time dealing with them when they're there. So when you're having meditation with a lot of dullness, the correct attitude is, oh good, I get a chance to work on that. When you have a lot of distraction, it's, oh good, it's an opportunity to work on it. When you have a meditation that's really easy and uh, there's no dullness and there's very little distraction and things like that, recognize that what you're doing is reaping the benefits of the work that you've already done. And although you may really enjoy that meditation, you're, you're, you're not doing the work And so your next meditation, the distraction may be back. So don't feel badly that, oh, I had this great meditation this morning. Now this afternoon, the distraction is back. Oh, no. It's like, great, I got to enjoy a great meditation this morning. It was the payoff from the previous week. (laughs) Now I get to do some more of the work so I can have more of that payoff in the future. Okay? Nice, easy, relaxed approach. uh, uh, Relaxed. Name of mind. And enjoy the benefits all the way along. There are things to enjoy, even, even if the moments of peace are, 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 are brief. Uh, enjoy them whenever they happen. Take satisfaction in the improvements that you see. It doesn't matter that, that that improvement may not be there in the next set. Whenever it's there, take satisfaction in it. Yes?
1: Yeah, uh, I know you explained the first thing about uh, single pointed attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't really fully understand. So can you explain again also the gross um, distraction and uh, subtle?
0: Yes, the gross and subtle distraction. Yes, very good. Um, when, when you have a, a, a period of time where you don't Forget what you're doing, and you have your—you're still aware of the breath. Then there will—you—you you will also be aware of sounds and sensations in your body, and you will have probably a fairly continuous stream of thoughts coming up about one thing or another. But you're still aware of the breath, and that's important. So. When those other thoughts and those other awarenesses, as long as they're in the background, they're sort of the periphery, they're around the edges, and you have the sensations of the breath pretty much in the center of your attention, then we'll call all those distractions subtle distractions. okay? But whenever one of them slips in and you find that the awareness of the breath is now in the background over here, and that you're really mostly thinking this thought, then that subtle distraction, that thought, has become a gross distraction. So that's that's the way we describe it, subtle and gross distractions. So when you're not forgetting, then the problem is subtle distractions becoming gross distractions, and you want to become aware of that and just refocus the attention on the sensations of the breath. So that's what we mean by the gross and subtle distractions. As you do that uh, repeatedly, what will happen is that uh, there will continue to be these distractions in your mind, but they won't so easily become gross distractions. They won't so easily displace the uh, uh, sensations of the breath as a meditation object. And this is your sign of progress there. Uh, as a matter of fact, after some time, they will rarely intrude. And as a matter of fact, what will happen instead of you finding yourself thinking about something else and just barely aware of the sensations of breath, what you'll find is almost as soon as the mind is attracted to some very interesting thought that comes up, you'll become aware of it, and before it even moves over to take hold of that thought, you'll bring it right back. So at that point you can say about your practice that you have overcome gross distraction. And you can leave the subtle distractions to be. So there there is, uh, in, in that progress of uh, meditation, there is the uh, fifth and sixth stages where you have subtle distractions that are not a problem in the sense of becoming gross distractions, but they are there. Before you try to overcome the presence of subtle distractions, which is what we mean by developing uh, single-pointedness or uh, a more exclusive focus of attention, (coughs) before you do that you want to overcome. make sure that you have overcome the tendencies to dullness that come. First, you overcome the tendency to strong dullness. That's that sinking into sleepiness, and uh, the the meditation object starts to become like a little dream, and at some point you start to fall asleep. That's gross dullness. So you, you overcome that first, and so when you're able to recognize dullness developing and and bring your level of alertness back up, you can say that you've overcome gross dullness. Then your next problem will be subtle dullness. Now, the thing about subtle dullness is that you know your, your concentration, you're your, your focused on the breath. Yes, there are other distractions in your mind, but you don't lose focus on the breath. You're resting there easily. And it, with the easiness of it, It starts to become comfortable and you're no longer seeing the beginning and the end of the in-breath and the beginning and the end of the out-breath so distinctly. It's just sort of in-breath and out-breath and it becomes very gentle and very flowing. And rather than sinking into gross dullness you can just stay in that place that we call subtle dullness and there will be a sense of pleasurableness. And you, you can mistake that for a being that, that now you've really become a great meditator because you can sit down and you just you have a meditation object there and it's not hard to keep it from to keep from losing it and it feels really nicely there. The p- trouble is that uh, that's kind of a dead end you need to overcome, you need to develop strong mindful awareness. And you want to do that before you concern yourself with eliminating all of the subtle distractions that are in your mind. Because otherwise, what you can do is you can you can become very single-pointed in a state of dullness. And you can have that kind of meditation that it's very relaxing, and it's very restful. But after you've done it for six months, you'll say, well, is just not really going anywhere. I mean, my meditations are good. I sit down, I feel nice, you know, and I don't get distracted. But, you know, I thought something else was... <laughs> I thought there was supposed to be more to it than this. And there is. But the more to it, depends on you bringing your mind back up to a much more alert state, that developing strong mindful awareness. Not just the level of mindful awareness that you started out with, but an even stronger level of mindful awareness and being able to sustain that. And that's what you do in, in the fifth stage of the practice. Yes?
1: Quick question. So, Mad- you measure meditative joy
0: as to the people talk about. Mm-hmm. So it's not the same thing. It's not dullness. the same thing. It can be easily mistaken. When your meditation gets really comfortable and kind of pleasant, you know, warm and fuzzy, that's the that's the bliss of dullness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, meditative joy will be preceded by a stage where There's there's a tremendous sense of stillness in your body. And then there will be a sense of 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 energy as well, like a tingling electric vibratory energy.
1: The subtle dullness stage doesn't have these
0: subtle dullness doesn't have that. At some point it 's like you have these two different things you have this sense of stillness in the body, and then you have this energy in the body and sometimes the energy can become very strong and very disturbing other times some of it, the progression of it is that it will it will just go from being a fine electric sort of tingling to being this pleasurable sensation that just fills your whole body but and, and it happens differently with different people, but sort of the classic way that people tend to experience meditative joy is that energy will build up, and it will just seem to fill the body, and just the body will be filled with pleasure, and the mind will just be in this really excited, happy state. It's like, oh wow, I've really done it, you know. I'm, Feels so good, yeah. Mm, oh, this is wonderful. And the funny thing about it, what you will find is, is that meditative joy has such an excited quality to it that even while you're sitting there enjoying it, you almost can't wait to get up and go tell somebody. Oh, you know, you've got you got to learn to meditate. This is wonderful, you know. I, I just this thing happened to me today. You know, or you go to your teacher and say, "Oh, I just had the greatest meditation," you know. I, you know. And, and, you're, and, and it's good. You're all filled with inner, But it has that kind of energetic quality to it. The bliss of dullness doesn't ever bring that kind of energy with it. So, and eventually the meditative joy, all that energy, after all, you kind of get tired of it. It's like, you know, let's calm down. And then you want to go more towards the tranquility. And, and that happens too. But what we call meditative joy will be associated with uh, with energy in the body and eventually energy in the mind. Pleasure in the body and a joyful happiness in the mind. But it's, it's it has this characteristic of energy. And dullness doesn't have a characteristic of energy. It's got this soft, warm, fuzzy, just. Yeah. What about
2: a feeling like a that I feel like uh, I can embrace the whole world. I feel so compassionate. I feel so. I can love anybody. How? What about that kind? Is that excitement or
0: that's? That's excitement. That's not. That's not dullness. <laughs> yeah. That's. Uh, uh, it, it can. Uh, you know. When. When. When that. When that stage of, of the meditation comes. A lot of things that have you can feel really connected to the whole universe and in love with everything. You know. And the other day we were talking about, you know, you're meditating and somebody's breathing might annoy you. When you have that kind of uh, of really positive meditative energy, what will happen is somebody'll cough and instead of it being annoying, it's like, Oh, isn't that wonderful?
2: <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. yes. So. So yeah. But but that's that's the difference. So I, I just there there is yes. Um
3: spoke, uh, when I have several onness um, when I'm uh, practicing is uh, I'm I'm not sure if this is the reason why the energy was surge. It seems like when I when I uh the craving the energy certainly was surge. And then all of a sudden my back will go straight and mm-hmm. my body will be full of energy. Yes, yes, That's... So, how come when painting is let go and all of a sudden the energy just came from no. Where, where does the energy come from?
0: Well, the energy seems to come from uh, what I would call unification of the mind, you know. And I keep telling you, your mind is not one thing. It's all these different things. And they're tending to go in different directions. And so if some part of your mind is involved in craving, and it lets go of that and kind of joins in with everything else, you've achieved a greater unification of mind. And that's what releases the energy. You know, we, we talk about this and say meditative joy is a sign of having achieved a certain state of concentration. And particularly, we usually uh, will describe that as a stage where uh, you have effortless single-pointedness. All of these terms are kind of referring to the same thing. Single-pointedness means that there... Uh, uh, and, and as a matter of fact, I was going to talk about what single-pointedness was. That was a question quite a while ago that I never got to. Anyway, uh, so let's just address that as, as a part of this whole thing. When you have all that subtle, uh, the subtle distractions, it means other parts of your mind are busy being concerned with thoughts about this and that, and sensations in your body, and what's going on outside, and so forth. Right? You see that? Like one part of your mind is engaged with the sensation of the breath. Another part of your mind is engaged with watching the state of your mind and guarding against getting distracted by these things, and guarding against subtle dullness. But other parts of your mind are still, you know, worrying about things, things at work, and what's for lunch, and you know, the nature of the universe, and what's on television, and, and what's making that noise out there, and did I do this? And so, of, these, of this whole population of mental processes that make you up, whenever you have subtle dullness, I mean sorry whenever you have subtle distraction, it means that other parts of your mind are still busy doing something else they haven 't quite gone on board so when we say you have single pointedness, what we mean by single pointedness is all of that subtle distraction starts to fall away, and the thoughts that come now are not very frequent and they just they just sort of come and go without really intruding and you may be aware of bodily sensations or sounds or whatever. But that awareness just sort of comes and goes without intruding, and most of the time it's not there. Most of the time you're, you have what we call exclusive focus. Your, your attention is pretty much exclusively on the sensations of the breath. And, and instead of having this constant barrage of subtle distractions, it's just the occasional thought drifting through, and the occasional awareness of something else passing through. But another way of, of describing that is saying, well, all the different parts of your mind's become unified. All these different parts that make it up are now kind of on task together. We're all together in this business of being calm and being quiet and paying attention to the breath. The unification of mind, and that unification of the mind causes the energy to come. And so, describing that whole progression of the ten stages, it's at. Uh, when you have overcome uh, subtle distractions in the sixth stage, and when you're working towards effortless single-pointedness, which makes the eighth stage, in other words, when you're in this seventh stage, all of the different, all, all of the different parts that make up your mind are, are coming into a state of, of unification and harmony and working together. And then you start experiencing energy coming out And the meditative joy often manifests as just one great surge of energy coming up the spine, the head, and spreading over the whole body. But bottom line, back to what we were talking about, that it seems that whenever all those different parts of your mind stop going different directions and start functioning in harmony, you experience energy in one form or another. So if you've got some, if you're if you're meditating and some part of your mind is all wrapped up in some craving for this or that, whether it's craving for nirvana or craving for uh, ginger candies, <laughs> then you're not going to experience the same level of energy. And when that part of your mind gives up that craving and gets on board, yeah, you'll experience a surge of energy as a part of that. So. That's how I would explain it. Thank you. I'm
1: just wondering, like when I'm meditating, can I close my eyes, or do I have to focus on my nose?
0: You can meditate either with your eyes open or closed. Oh, and as a matter of fact, I would encourage everyone to. Do some of both. Meditating with your eyes open is a very effective way of keeping yourself from slipping into to dullness, of uh, of keeping sleepiness and dullness at bay. And it's good. It's a good thing to be able to do because when your eyes are closed, of course, it's easier to be focused. When your eyes are open, you, now you've brought in one more source of distraction. But that's not a bad thing. That. If you meditate with one more source of distraction, I mean, as long as it doesn't destroy your meditation entirely, you bring in one more source of distraction and, you're, and then you practice remaining focused despite that source of distraction, you've only increased the power of your concentration and your mindfulness. The same thing, you know, don't try to find a med- place to meditate that's totally quiet, you can't hear cars, there's no dog barking, there's no birds making noise because you're depriving yourself of sources of distraction that you get to practice ignoring. So, same thing with opening your eyes. It's like practicing with a dog barking next door. Yes, it's another source of distraction, but it will not take you very long to overcome that source of distraction. And being able to meditate with your eyes open, as I said, very good way to deal with all.
4: What stage is it when you can, like, concentrate
0: on, like, when you're awake, Mm and when you can concentrate on anything that comes to you, you know? Um, In terms of these ten stages, when you have uh, the eighth stage is described as effort effortless uh, concentration or effortless single pointedness. At that point. You can concentrate on anything. You can concentrate on uh, things that are constantly changing, many different things one after another. Or, what you can do is put your mind into a state where it's just open. Your your mind does not move, but sense objects and mental objects pass through the field of your awareness. So you're you're just... That's... uh, um, Goes by different names—choiceless awareness, Mahamudra—but that's that's one of the advantages of coming to the state of effortless concentration. Is that you no longer have to use an object to sort of keep your attention focused. You can just open your mind up to anything that comes, and you won't get caught by it, and How do you prevent yourself
1: if you reach a stage of like eighth stage or? 7th stage or
0: 10th stage? How do you prevent yourself from slipping to stage one? Oh, you don't. It happens, you know. Uh, if, uh, you you can be at the tenth stage, you know, and uh, then your daughter gets kidnapped and house burns down the same day. And you'll probably be in stage one for a while, you know. I, I just—I mean—that's an extreme example, but you, you you're going back and forth in these. You know, you reach a certain level of mastery. And then there's a lot of disturbance and distraction in your life, you're going to slip back for a while. Or something happens and you're not able to practice for a while. You know, you go on a vacation to Malaysia and you spend all your time swimming and surfing, and so <laughs> you don't know? practice. By the time you get back, you know, you're, you're going to have slipped back. And sometimes it happens for reasons that you don't even you don't even know. It's just, you know, here you've been having great meditation, stayed seven, eight, nine, and now all of a sudden you're back at four, and you wonder why. But it doesn't matter, because you stay a little while at four, and then you'll get back to where you were. So, As far as how you keep yourself from slipping back, uh, regular practice, and whenever you do slip back, you just always practice at the level that you're at today. So it doesn't matter if you were at level 8 for the last two months. If you're at level 3 today, you practice at level 3. And you don't try to be single-pointed at at level 3. At level 3, you just try to notice before you get caught by a, a subtle distraction that becomes a gross distraction that's going to cause you to forget the meditation object. And you spend your whole meditation meditating, like a level 3 meditator. you know? And you don't worry about the fact that it wasn't like that last week. You always meditate at the level you're at. Okay. Okay. So the higher uh,
3: level that we're in, the higher the likelihood of uh, having the accident of enlightenment happen.
0: That's right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. That's right.
4: Yeah. Oh. Um... I want to ask a question, but I don't know if it's appropriate to in a group or if you prefer individual? And just let me know, okay? Because I hold this question for a while. when you talk about you know, go to the point and kind of, my, to uh, say this way, the practice uh, meditate and come to the point, you know, very through the the comfortable and the. the the uh, happiness and mm-hmm. all the thing. Besides the uh, harmony feeling, stillness, you know. And I, I experience there seems staying there, okay. and, and go go no further. Mm-hmm. Okay, except that uh, I feel like a uh, uh, heart, the 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 of range can expand. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that is the, the things that I'm more. But after that, I think stay there, not really you know, go further, even though I my, uh, you know, very clear, you know, the mind, the, the, but don't, don't go any further. Then, has some sensation come out and all, all the things, and the mindfulness, you know, just focus on that sensation and investigate more, you know. Then, kind of switch to the Mahamudra, uh, 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 that, that kind of uh, practice. And 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 now I, I have that for the, the journal practice, the the, the mm-hmm. practice. I since come do not know how to cross to further. So or, or you shouldn't go and just. I just see myself automatically, you know, when I fall of the awareness, mm-hmm. and 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 switch to the. How to drive that one?
0: Um, okay. Uh, let me give. I'll I'll give uh, sort of a a, a general answer to that that maybe everybody can use in the future just to understand. You see, when you developed a certain level of skill, when you have effortless concentration and when you have uh, meditative joy, uh, when you have this level of skill, really... From this point on, you may be doing a number of different practices. You may be sometimes cultivating the jhanas, you may be sometimes doing a Mahana mudra practice. But everything you're doing is oriented in this one particular way. There's seven factors of enlightenment. And these are concentration, which you've already developed a lot of. Mindful awareness, which you've already developed uh, in a very strong way. Meditative joy, which you have now, you may or may not have a greater or lesser degree of tranquility of body and mind. Now, this is the this is the kind of of tranquility. It's um, the joy, instead of being exuberant and excited, is pervading. But it's much more peaceful, and the energy of the body, instead of being disturbing and electric, is is just a, a pleasurable feeling that pervades the body. So the effect is the effect of this tran- tranquillity, is that that the mind and the body are perfectly serviceable for uh, the kind of practice that leads to enlightenment. So you have uh, tranquility, that's the fourth thing, right? Concentration, mindful awareness, that's all about what we're developing. At a certain point you will develop meditative joy. As the joy, as you get used to the joy and it starts to subside and everything you will develop tranquility. And then you'll start cultivating equanimity. Equanimity is not being drawn towards or repulsed by anything, just accepting everything in an, an open, neutral, non clinging way. And then, as, uh, and so your practice will be dedicated to developing more tranquility and more equanimity. Then you'll be applying all of these five things that you have in the last two enlightenment factors, which are energy and, and investigation, or investigation and, and and energy. So this is where you are closely observing the nature of reality, the arising and passing away of sensation and mental objects, the impermanence of them. Observing the way that your mind creates your reality and the sense of self out of these sensations that arise and pass away. Noticing how your mind reacts to Pleasure and pain, with tendencies to to craving. Okay. When all so, what you want to do, you know, once you've got five factors there, then you develop the other two: the investigation and the energy. All seven factors being present at the same time makes it extremely likely that you're going to have the accident of enlightenment. So,
3: energy and investigation are two separate things.
0: Yes, they're two separate things. How come energy
3: so, so, so uh, further down? I, I thought that was the only one, the first thing.
0: Well, it's not. It's not that it's further down, but it's that uh, you have been increasing energy and in all of its different forms all the way along mm-hmm. as you increase the level of your mindful awareness that involved energy. And we talked about how the role of energy played in the production of the of meditative joy. Mm-hmm. So what we're talking about really here, energy as an enlightenment factor, is the, the maturation of that energy that is now focused on the investigation, the application. Oh, okay. Okay? So at
4: so that point, there's no, no need to uh, further for uh, samatha. We just use that awareness and that to investigate uh, for for Okay.
0: There's no need, but there may be great value. Because, you see, if, you, if, if you've developed Samatha to the point of the tenth stage here, you can strengthen all of these factors by practicing the jhanas. If you have succeeded in entering in the first jhana or the first and second jhana, you can further strengthen all of these factors by practicing in the third and the fourth jhanas. So there's always a value in in the samatha practice. And not only that, the investigation that leads to insight can happen within the practice of samatha and, and jhana too. When you enter and leave the first jhana, you can investigate that phenomena. What is it What is it that's left behind and, and what is it that arises in association with each of these jhanas? Carefully evaluate. The difference between not being in jhana and being in the first jhana and what happens when you leave that jhana and come back into the state of, uh, of uh, a more broad-spectrum awareness. What's the difference between the first jhana and the second jhana? What's the difference between the 2nd jhana and the 3rd jhana? Investigate those. That's all the same thing and it will yield the same understanding and insight. All of these jhana factors that you identify, they are impermanent, so you can see impermanence in them. Um, they are the result of causes and conditions. They are ultimately unsatisfactory because they are dependent upon causes and conditions and they will arise and pass away, so that you can have this, you can have profound insight into dukkha by experiencing the entering into meditative joy and the coming out of meditative joy, the entering into bliss and the coming out of bliss. So, yeah, the samatha practice is not precluded at any point. So,
4: so you're saying is that when that... Uh, uh get into the use that uh, awareness get into investigating that Mm -hmm. we are helping the further uh, Samadha on the way, right? That's right. Okay, thank
3: you. So so the investigation uh, will take place when the person is uh, is outside of jhana has you know basically come out of the meditation in jhana then the investigation can begin because in in jhana, can the investigation take place? Is it possible?
0: Well, there's different... In a deep jhana, it really can't, because you're, you're just, you know, basically your, your mind is so absorbed in the objects that the only way to practice insight is by reflecting on what happens as you enter the jhana and what happens as you leave the jhana. But there's lighter stages of jhana where you can actually practice uh, Vipassana from within the jhanas. So both of those are true. Um. There we go. That sounds good. Well, this is uh, it's time for lunch now, and um, still didn't get around to talking to you about the hindrances, which is very relevant to all of this. Maybe that will be tomorrow's talk- topic. but Thank you, and uh, continue to practice diligently with great success. And uh, spend a lot more time whenever you notice uh, talking and noise going on doing that world stopping mudra to remind other people. <laughs> You may not realize it, but when you're sitting at the back table in the kitchen, whispering to each other, not only does it deserve everybody else in the kitchen, but I can hear you in the back bedroom. So
3: when things are quiet, you can hear very, very, slight sound. That's right. Yeah. So.
2: But what should we do if we, when we serve people, when we're cooking, do this thing? We needed to uh, exchange uh, this uh, conversation is useful, uh, necessary conversation. What? What's your suggestion?
1: Uh, do what you...